Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I am sorry. It is currently 11.32 Tuesday night. I'm super late getting this podcast out and I apologize. It's been a crazy busy few weeks and this week especially is really nuts and uh, I just didn't get it done. So forgive me. I hope this still finds you well and I hope you're able to um, enjoy this episode because it's a really good one. It is the finale in our Genesis series, which has been a really, really cool thing for the church. Thank you so much if you've been supporting it by listening to the podcast or attending in person or watching online. Uh, It means everything. You rock. So I want to just jump straight in. Um, Two quick things before we get to Hannah. Uh, Actually, three quick things. Number one, we've got a movie night coming up. If you want to come with us, go to diff.church and click on events. And we're going to go see uh, Marvel's Eternals Saturday, November 6th. That's going to be awesome. Um, Also, I forget what the second thing was. I think the second thing and the third thing are the same thing. But I thought there was a second thing, but there's really just a third thing. That doesn't make sense. A smart person would delete all this nonsense, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave it in because sometimes that's life. You confuse yourself and um, it's okay. There's grace there. So the second and third thing, I guess, is that we have a Halloween coming up soon. Uh, Not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday after. And uh, we absolutely are dressing up for Halloween. Please wear a costume on Halloween. In fact, you tell them, Hannah. Y'all had better be dressing up for Halloween. If you come to me with this, I'm just dressed as myself. No, no candy for you. Last Halloween, I gave out tiny trick-or-treat bags of candy to all the adults, because how often do we get treats? Being an adult is all tricks. In fact, growing up is a trick. Somebody let me out of here. (laughs) I'm gonna be a hot sauce packet. I said this last week. I got my costume in the mail. It is a Taco Bell hot sauce packet. Okay, so Jesse, wait, I'm very excited. And Nova's gonna be Minnie Mouse. <laughs> I can't. Also on Halloween, before I forget, there's gonna be Halloween on Central, which is like a giant party and booths and all kinds of stuff. So that starts at noon and goes till five. Obviously we have church at 10.30, so parking may be an issue. We don't have a lot to ourselves, so I would, Maybe get here a couple minutes earlier than you normally do. I don't know what parking is going to be like that Sunday. Park this way. So on the streets going away from Central, don't park on Central. There will be no cars allowed on Central at all. Um, We're probably going to cancel like Sunday Funday hangout for that. Like we're not going to go to a specific place. Just go to Halloween on Central. And in the night, we'll wish it never ends. (laughs) That joke was just for Jarrett. (laughs) If you don't love Blink-182, what are you doing here? Just kidding. Everyone's welcome. Okay, this morning we are finishing our series on Genesis. <sighs> don't cheer. Oh, so sad. <laughs> I said don't cheer. It's so sad. <laughs> you can listen to the podcast if you've missed the other weeks because we have covered everything from the creation of the world on so far. Um, of course, this is the last time I'm going to say this. If you want to dig deeper and do more reading, you can check out Genesis for Normal People, and The Evolution of Adam, which are two books by Pete Inns and Jared Bias. Today we are tackling the final story in Genesis, which is Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. 
we've come a long way. We went through Adam and Seth and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this is like the main line of ancestors that the writer wants us to know about. Um, but we're not allowed to forget the displaced older siblings, right? So Cain and Ishmael and Esau, they also had their own stories. But we get to Genesis 37 and we get to the final section of Genesis. And this one's dedicated to the line of Jacob through his most favoritest son, Joseph, who is the favorite son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Joseph, like most other characters in the whole story so far, uh, has some pretty serious flaws, but turns out to be a key character in God's plan anyways. It seems like he's just an annoying daddy's boy, and he's a spoiled brat, and he can do no wrong in Jacob's eyes. In fact, he even gives Joseph a beautiful multicolored robe, which looks like this. I don't know if that's what it looks like. That's from one of the Broadway shows. <laughs> um, and he just gets fancy clothes and he gets to like parade it around. And what's worse is he taunts his brothers and rubs it in their face that he is so wonderful. He's a bit of a snitch. He tattles on them all the time. And I mean, what do snitches get? Snitches. No, they get thrown in a pit and sold as slaves to Egypt. <laughs> So, I mean, I hope that the sibling rivalry theme is like ringing in your ears pretty loudly. I feel like we've talked about one every single week so far. We've got Cain and Abel fighting, Jacob and Esau fighting, Joseph and his brothers fighting. And uh, Israel's whole national history is one big sibling rivalry. Like all 12 tribes come from the 12 brothers and they shockingly don't like each other and they don't get along. Now, Joseph's brothers hate him, not just because of his snappy clothes and his bad attitude, but because he rubs it in their face. He's like, I am great. And you know what else? I had two dreams, and in both of these dreams, you are all bowing down before me and serving me. Now, how many of you would love it if your teenage sibling said that to you? <laughs> yes, they don't like it, and they are consistently like exasperated and annoyed with him. And one day, they see him coming from a distance, and they're like, you know what? we should kill him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you get from I hate you to like <laughs> murder straight. We're just like, oh, he told on us and he gets fancy clothes. And also we should just end his life. But does this remind you of Cain and Abel? Cain is like, I'm so upset at his brother that he kills him. There's 10 brothers in this scenario this time instead of just the one. So they actually have a discussion about it. They don't just murder him in a fit of rage. So they throw him in a pit. And then they're like, let's debate what to do with this kid. And finally, they're like, okay, we can't actually murder him. That would be too far. But we also cannot now let him out of the pit because he will go tell dad and dad will punish us severely because as we've already discussed, Joseph is a snitch. What are we going to do with this kid? And just as if by magic, a caravan of traders on their way to Egypt pop by and they're like, ah, a good solution to this is we'll just get rid of him entirely. And they disappeared. So they sell him. They get money in their pocket for selling their brother. And then they're like, oh, no, what are we going to tell dad happened? Because they took his fancy robe and they shred it and they put some goat's blood on it. And they're like, dad, we came upon this. We don't know what happened. It seems as if he was ripped apart by wild animals. <sighs> this is such a great story. Like, how many of you were taught this story as kids? All of us? No, this is like not a child appropriate story, okay? <laughs> like that, even like obviously Jacob is not the best parent. I have a child, okay? Even just the thought of this like upsets me on a deep level. 
And Joseph gets the wool pulled over his eyes. He gets a dose of his own medicine and he's devastated. His favorite son from his favorite wife is dead, or so he thinks. Meanwhile, Joseph is on his way to Egypt with the traders and he gets sold to some guy named Potiphar who's like a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's court. And despite being an annoying and cocky teenager, he apparently does have some sense and a good head on his shoulders, so he does a good job at the duties he is in charge of in Potiphar's house. And eventually he becomes promoted and he is in charge of running the whole house. He's so good at this that Potiphar puts his slave in charge of everything. He, has all, he handles all the money, he handles all the servants, he handles everything. Unfortunately for Joseph, he seems to have been very handsome. And Potiphar's wife, for who knows what reason, is like, he should be sexually available to me. Again, not a children's story. And Joseph is like, no, thank you. No means no. And Potiphar's wife is like, no, it doesn't. And then Joseph runs away from her. And in true B-movie fashion, she like grabs his robe off of him. And he has to run away practically naked. <laughs> and she is like very upset that Joseph would dare not be available to her. Like, what the heck? Um, so she's like, Potiphar, if, first of all, if, he, if I can't have him, nobody can have him. And he tried to seduce me. And who is Potiphar going to believe, his wife or a slave? And she did have Joseph's clothes. So he gets thrown in jail. This poor kid can't catch a break. And we learned, okay, we learned earlier in the story, Joseph has these coded dreams. So he has these dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. Um, and this is part of why his brothers didn't like him. But in those days, the ability to interpret dreams was a very valuable skill. So Joseph is incarcerated, and he runs into two of Pharaoh's employees, a cupbearer and a baker. They have also made Pharaoh mad somehow and got thrown in jail. And they have dreams, and Joseph interprets them. So he interprets the cupbearer's dream as meaning that he will be released from prison and get back into Pharaoh's good graces. Yay for him. The poor baker, hmm, um, he's going to get his head chopped off and put on a stick for birds to eat. That's what his dream means. And these dreams come true, like exactly as Joseph interprets them. The cupbearer gets released, he gets his job back, Pharaoh loves him again, and the baker, off with his head. And when the cupbearer gets out, the cupbearer, if you don't know, is like the person who tastes all the Pharaoh's drinks and food before Pharaoh eats it to make sure he's not poisoned. So on one hand, oh, the things you will eat. On the other hand, you may die. Um, so, you know, risk reward. He gets out of prison, gets back in Pharaoh's good graces, and Joseph is like, please don't forget about me. Okay, I'm just a poor boy from a poor family. <laughs> Spare me this monstrosity of being in prison. And the cupbearer is like, got you, bro, and then promptly forgets about him entirely for many, who knows how long, a while. And then Pharaoh has some dreams that need explanation. This is my favorite part of the story. Pharaoh, I have something in my eyeball other than my eyeball. Mm. It's probably like a speck of mascara because I decided to be fancy today <laughs> instead of just living my life with my normal face. <laughs> um, Pharaoh dreams about skinny cows eating fat cows. What? <laughs> and skinny stalks of wheat eating fat stalks of wheat. Apparently to Pharaoh, these are nightmares. Now we obviously live in a world where like the walking dead exists and saw, and we're like, what? <laughs> Pharaoh, you dumb, dumb person. Like, this is not terrifying at all. But Pharaoh, this was like the worst dream he could have possibly had. 
And he is like, okay, I have some staff magicians. They will tell me what these dreams mean. And I, this is where I just want to take a side note and say how cool would it be if your job title was staff magician? <laughs> Other than our actual magicians who are here. <laughs> like staff magician to Pharaoh, but they can't do it. They have no idea what these dreams mean. And that is their job to interpret dreams, okay? And the cupbearer is like, oh yeah, there's that one guy in jail. So he tells Pharaoh about Joseph and, Joseph, and Pharaoh's like, well, I gotta know what these nightmares mean. Um, and Joseph gets out of prison and he's like, Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, God interprets dreams. I am just the messenger. Which actually is a pretty good thing to say because it seems like Joseph has finally learned a little bit of humility. <laughs> and so, you know, Pharaoh tells him, Joseph immediately knows what they mean. He's like, oh, how could your magicians not know this? The meaning is so plain. Fat cows eating skinny cows. No, the other way. Skinny cows eating fat cows <laughs> means that there will be seven years of abundance and bumper crops and like huge harvests, lots of celebrations. It's going to be the best seven years like Egypt has ever had. And then there's going to be seven years of famine, drought, like, and it's going to be much worse than the good seven years. So Joseph tells Pharaoh that in order to avoid a total collapse of the country during the seven good years, we've got to save all of this grain. We've got to start preparing because there will be a famine coming. And Pharaoh is like, good advice. I will promote you from prison to being in charge of this. <laughs> so then Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right-hand person in charge of all of the preparations for this famine that is coming. In fact, even higher than Potiphar, who I assume is still in Pharaoh's court. It like never mentions what happened, but like, I just, other side note, this is not in my notes, but like, can you imagine that there's like a party at Pharaoh's house and Potiphar and his wife are there? <laughs> and then Joseph comes in and he's like, oh yes. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't do that because he might get thrown into another pit. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Canaan, the famine hits. Crops are failing. There's not enough water. Everything's dying. The animals are starving. The humans are tightening their belts. And Jacob is worried about how they're going to survive. So he hears that Egypt has all this grain. He sends 10 sons down to Egypt to buy some. But there's one son he doesn't send. And this kid's name is Benjamin. And it's the second son from his favorite wife, Rachel, who died giving birth to Benjamin. Historically, the largest killer of women, aside from men, is childbirth. So she dies. Jacob loses his precious wife that he loves so much, and he's already lost Joseph, her first son, so he cannot bear the thought of sending Benjamin anywhere away from him. And this episode of 10 sons going to Egypt to buy grain and coming back, this mirrors Abraham's trek to Egypt to buy grain. Thankfully, if you've been here a couple of weeks, nobody tries to pass off their wife as their sister in this episode to save their own neck. Few. <laughs> and they get there, and they have to meet with the person in charge, who is Joseph. And they, he recognizes them immediately, but they have no idea who he is because he's an adult now. He does, like his pimples are gone. <laughs> he's not annoying anymore. And like he's wearing Egyptian clothes. He probably has a beard. Like he is a grown person. And so they bow down before him, fulfilling the dream that Joseph had. And you know, the writer could have like left off the story there. No, it gets weirder. <laughs> Payback's not the point. Like there's a deeper lesson the writer wants us to learn. 
So Joseph plays a trick on his brothers because he knows who they are. He's like, oh, you. <laughs> he accuses them of being double agents, of coming to Egypt to spy. And he sells them grain, but only on one condition. You must show me you're honest by going home and bringing back this other brother that you say you have. Otherwise, you're spies and you don't get anything. And you have to go and I'm going to keep one of you as collateral. So poor Simeon just gets like thrown in jail. Like, what did he do? <laughs> he existed. I don't know. Like, how did they pick him? They're like, hmm, we draw straws. Oh, sorry. Prison for you. <laughs> so he gets left and they take the grain and they go back to Jacob. And they're like, this guy thinks we're trying to do some shady business. Like, we have to go back because Simeon is in jail. Like, we have to take Benjamin. And Jacob is like, definitely not. Okay. I already lost Joseph. Uh, and in his mind, Simeon was already probably lost too. Because it's not like the Egyptians were known for their delightful treatment and kindness towards prisoners. Okay. He's probably like, he's probably starving to death in a prison. Like, he may not even be alive by the time you get back. He cannot bear the thought of sending Benjamin. But the famine keeps going and they run out of grain again. And then it's either everybody starves, all of his sons starve, or he send Benjamin and take this risk. So he ha he's forced into it. He has to send them. And they go to Egypt and they're like, here's our brother. We promise we're not spies. And then they're treated super well. In fact, instead of being in harm's way, Benjamin gets five times more food and drink than everyone else. Like, how did they measure that? I don't know. They're like, ah, oh, one steak for you, five steaks for Benjamin. <laughs> I don't, and like, what is Benjamin supposed to do? Oh, my stomach is at, not actually that large. Is this like a man versus food challenge? <laughs> but like, he's just treated so well. Like anything he needs, he gets. They get all of this grain, more than they can carry. They get Simeon back. He's still alive. And they're like, okay, we're going to go home. Whew, phew. How many times can I say few in one message? <laughs> so they go and they leave, but it's a setup. Joseph is not going to let them off the hook that easily, okay? He's like, y'all threw me in a literal pit and then sold me and then told dad I was dead. And now you're here just wanting to like live your best life and have grain? No. So he hides a silver cup, a very expensive silver cup in Benjamin's bags. And then he runs, they like, they leave and he sends his men after them. And they promptly arrest all of them. And they're like, you are thieves. And they're like, no, we're not. We would never do this to you. Oh my God, this is happening again. <laughs> we promise we didn't steal anything. And then of course, you know, the cup is found exactly where Joseph put it in Benjamin's luggage. And this is kind of like a slightly revised version of the stolen household gods incident that we talked about before, where um, Laban's daughter, Rebecca, like steals Rebecca, Rachel, steals the household. You know, I get mixed up about people in the Bible. This is literally my life. So if you get mixed up about people in the Bible, do not feel bad. She like sits on them and is like, I don't know what happened to your gods, dad, but I can't give you a hug because I'm a period. And he's like, oh, got it. And doesn't question her further. Um, we talked about that last week. We don't need to get into it again. But like, this is a slightly revised version of that. They're cha this wild chase to get this cup back. And the brothers are just like pleading their innocence. They're like, we would never do such a thing. Like we promised, like we didn't do anything. And um, Joseph announces that whoever stole the cup will have to stay in Egypt as a slave forever until they die. 
Does that sound familiar? He's giving them kind of a taste of what they did to him. And they're horrified. They like fall on the ground again, bowing before Joseph, begging him for mercy. They cannot go back to Jacob without Benjamin. They think it will kill him. If he, the, like the grief will be too much. He will just have a heart attack. And this is a really powerful part of Genesis. In fact, I think it's so powerful. We're going to read a couple of verses starting in Genesis chapter 44. So I'm just going to read you a few and you can follow along. Joseph said to them, why have you done this? Don't you know I have a special way of learning secrets and no one is better at this than I am? <laughs> and Judah, which is one of his brothers, says, there's nothing we can say. There is no way to explain. There is no way to show we are not guilty. God has judged us guilty for something else we have done. So all of us will be your slaves. And Joseph said, I will not make you all my slaves. Only the person who stole the cup will be my slave. You others can go in peace to your father. And then Judah went to Joseph and said, imagine what will happen if we go home without our youngest brother. He is the most important thing in our father's life. Our father will die if he sees that the boy is not with us and it will be our fault. We will send our dad to the grave, a dejected and sad man. I took responsibility for him and I told my father, if I don't bring him back to you, you can blame me for the rest of my life. So I beg you, please let this boy go back with his brothers. I will stay and be your slave. I cannot go back to my father if he's not with me. That's kind of a far cry, right? From what they did to Joseph at the beginning of the story. It seems like maybe they've grown up a little bit too. They know what they did to Joseph was wrong all that time ago. And now they feel that they're being punished rightfully for this. Like that they deserve this happening because of what they did to Joseph. But Benjamin didn't do anything wrong and they cannot let him take the fall. And Judah is actually willing to give up his whole life, to stay in Egypt, be a slave forever, so that Benjamin is spared. He'll give his life to remedy this mistake. Even if Benjamin actually did steal the cup, which of course he didn't, but they're willing to take the fall for their younger brother. Kind of full circle. And Joseph cannot keep it together anymore at this point. He's like, oh, like finally I see that you're not who maybe I thought you were. You're not what you did to me all those years ago. And Joseph just like, they, reunion, he's like, I, it's me. <laughs> and everyone's crying and there's lots of hugging and all kinds of stuff. And he forgives them. And then in chapter 45, he tells them that this was actually God's plan all along. He says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth, to keep alive for you many survivors. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. And if you change just a word or two of this, it could be the Israelites saying this later. In the, after the exodus in the Old Testament, after they leave Egypt. And then again, after their return from the Babylonian exile, they say that God preserved us a remnant, delivered us from harm so that there would be survivors. And Joseph sends his brothers back to Jacob, all of them. Pharaoh himself invites Joseph's whole family to come live in Egypt where there's an abundance of grain, even in the middle of famine. He even gives them a wonderful place to live on the outskirts of Egypt. And when they arrive home with this amazing news that not only have they brought everyone back, they have more grain than they can possibly even carry, and Joseph is alive. And not just alive, he's in charge of stuff. Like he is the one who had made it possible for them to live. 
even after they tried to kill him. Jacob is just like beside himself with happiness, which I think is beautiful. Like instead of being killed by bad news and grief, he has healing and he gets to have his whole family together again. Um, And all of these people migrate to Egypt and they settle there and that's where Genesis ends. They do quite well for themselves. They're fruitful and they multiply, which means lots of babies. Um, And then like we've seen all these people, they're just a struggle. Like what a struggle for the whole book. People are struggling and yet God is still with them, blessing them, increasing their numbers, being faithful to the promises that God made to Abraham. And Genesis is ending and Jacob is very old and near death. And his last act, he blesses each one of his sons and grandsons, beginning with Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Of course, you know, in true Genesis fashion, Jacob insists on blessing Ephraim, the younger son, before Manasseh, the older. (laughs) Because, you know, we just have to keep the theme up. But this is like a political foreshadowing, right? Because Ephraim is one of the names of the powerful northern kingdom of Israel after it splits from one nation into two. Um, Jacob also blesses Judah over all of his other brothers, and he will become the southern kingdom of Israel. And beyond that, like if you've ever wondered like why Jews are called Jews, Judah. <laughs> the Jews were often called Judahites, which just got shortened to Jew. So that's where the word comes from. And also, the king that they're going to pin all of their hopes on is going to come from the line of Judah, David. So this signals the political prominence. And then Genesis ends, and Jacob dies, and Joseph dies, and Israel's beginning is about to end. And we know, like, a long, another long period of struggle is about to start. <laughs> but, like, let's just mo- relish in the happy moment for once. Israel is a people that struggles with God and struggles with others. But it's also a story about Israel's faith in God and how God will come through for them no matter what. Genesis is Israel's story that God can be counted on from the very beginning, through all kinds of missteps, mistakes, outright rebellions, God is always faithful. God will always be there. God will never, ever, ever, ever give up on them. And that's the main lesson I think we're supposed to learn in Genesis as well. God will always be there. God is always faithful. And God will never, ever, ever give up. And my hope, because like we're done with Genesis now, forever. Just kidding, we'll talk about it eventually again. Like, that you found some of this meaningful. Um, it's certainly been, like, really fun for me to prepare and present to you. But I, maybe at times it seemed like over the last weeks, my goal is just to, like, tear down and destroy all of the Bible stories that you grew up with. Um, and, like, debunk the Bible and make it seem like a fairy tale or a myth instead of the word of God. It didn't hurt my hand, it hurt my ear. (laughs) I don't know why I did this. (laughs) But please hear me. Like, my goal is never to make our sacred text meaningless. It's to present to you a well-researched, historically accurate to the best of our ability, and scholarly, like, perspective and interpretation of Scripture, and to respect the text because there is a reason that these stories have endured for thousands of years. 
and have been meaningful and influential in faith communities for that long. Like we ask hard questions of the Bible because we take our faith seriously, not because we're trying to destroy it. And actually, I'll never say that you have to agree with me um, or take what I say without question. My job is to present a good reading to you, maybe an educational reading, maybe a fresh reading. And your job is to think about it and to decide what is helpful to you and to use the mind that God has given you to arrive at meaningful conclusions for you and for your life. And I will always get this question, like whenever I talk about the mythical nature of some parts of scripture, someone's always like, well, but couldn't it have happened exactly the way it was written? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know how we'd prove that. But yeah, I can hold space for that. To me, that's not the most helpful reading of scripture, not these scriptures. Even when, like I just find that a literal interpretation of Genesis is not the most helpful to us. However, I can hold space for not having final answers because even if I'm presenting all of this to you, we still don't have the final answer, right? We're all on a journey together. And I know that all of you can hold space for that too, even if it's uncomfortable because here you are engaged and participating and moving forward and taking your faith seriously and asking hard questions and sometimes tripping over what we've learned in the past and sometimes celebrating what we've learned in the past because it's gotten us here to a space where we can actually engage with faith and God and the Bible, maybe through trauma, but also with hope. And I'm just really grateful for y'all. Everyone here in this community our community made up of questioners. And we've all committed together to do the work of exploring faith in Jesus and love for each other, even when it's hard, and inclusion for all, no matter how much it costs us. We have two more songs, so I just invite you to stand with us, um, and then I will come back and give you a benediction.